What's going on, everybody? It is Jason Jaybird Goldstein here for another episode of The Bird's Eye View. Today, I'm going to bring you guys the bird's eye view on all things college basketball this weekend, on all things NBA, including who is hot, who is not, on soccer in 90, especially with the Champions League returning this week, and I'll be joined by professional, professional sports better, Giles Gallant, to talk about life being a being being in the sports betting industry, and he's going to give you guys his best bets of the week. So, you know, if you want some winners, you got to listen today to the, today's episode and listen to the interview. <clears throat> but before we get into the interview, we just, I just want to talk about today. It was, uh, it, was, it was Sunday without football, and that was weird. It was very weird having a Sunday with no football. I really didn't know what to do with myself. I mean, I watch football from... 1 p.m. to 11 p.m. every single Sunday. So, yeah, not having it today definitely kind of sucked. I ended up watching a replay of a Yankees-Red Sox game from the summer. I ended up cleaning my house. I mean, that's what I do without football. I end up cleaning. I go crazy without it. But, you know, it's going to be like this for the next few months, so maybe it'll be a lot more months of cleaning. Although I will say... Despite, uh, despite no football, there was some good college basketball on today, mainly starting off with Wisconsin versus that team up north. And the Wolverines, you know, it looked like the COVID layoff was going to affect them. They labored through the first half. They were looking incredibly rusty very early, and going to the half, they trailed by 12 points. But then everything came together for them in the second half. They shot the lights out, dropping 40 points in the second half. Isaiah Livers was an absolute beast for the Wolverines. He sparked that offense, 20 points on 8 of 16 shooting. And they also made defensive adjustments. Wisconsin was shooting the ball relatively, was shooting the ball incredibly well in the first half. I don't know their final shooting numbers, but with about two minutes left, they were shooting over, over 60%. So, tremendous start for the Badgers. It looked like they were going to run away with this game at Cole Center, a place where they have dominated just always and against a team coming off of a three-and-a-half-week layoff, which we've seen play a major role in a lot of other teams this season. But just what an unbelievable win for that team up north. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, he has one of his worst shooting games of the season, and he still has five blocks and 15 rebounds. Absolute unit. And, look, I mean, they were the, they were the third-best team before their COVID pause. I know most, most rankings had them in fourth place. I personally thought they were the third-best team. And they, in a way, they picked up right where they left off, especially in the second half. And I thought they were good, and I've made excuses for them. But Wisconsin is just not a good team. They're pretty damn fraud-like, if you ask me. Uh, I thought with all the seniors they had, they were going to be really damn good. I said, oh, you know, it's a couple bad games here and there. But no, the Badgers stink. Brad Davison is having a horrible, horrible season. Might, mighty regression from him. He's shooting, you know, go, going into this game on Sunday, he was shooting 32% from the field, shot just one of seven. His, his, by the way, his fourth time in the last 10 games, he's made one or fewer field goals. So, yeah, Davison is having a horrible year, and who knows 
where his field goal percentage is going to drop down after this game. An awful performance from them, an awful performance from the Badgers. And outside of Demetric Trice uh, and Ford, nobody stepped up for this team. A porous performance. Oh, and you had Davis have a strong second half. He was really the only one who played well for the Badgers in the second half. The freshman amongst a team of seniors was the one who stepped up. A heartbreaking loss for the Badgers, and now they're probably going to fall unranked. And they were a team that many thought was a legitimate Final Four threat coming into the year, up there with Iowa, Illinois, Michigan State, who obviously proved that they are not a contender this season. Uh, the other game on Sunday was Drake and Loyola. Drake gets a big overtime victory over the over the Loyola Chicago series. Uh, if obviously if Drake lost this game, it would have been their third straight loss, and they would have went to from 19-0 to on the bubble. But this win at least has them in for now, depending on how the rest of the season goes. But it's obviously a big win. They're without their best player, who's going to be out for potentially the rest of the regular season. So Drake really need the split with the Ramblers, who who destroyed them on Saturday's game. It was a roughly competitive first half, and Drake actually led at the end of the first half. But then the Ramblers just dominated them in the second half. I mean, that's a big team. I had not watched much of Loyola Chicago this year, but there's a reason why, despite playing the Missouri Valley Conference, this team is ranked, and they can they make a Final Four run similar to a couple years ago, depending on where they what, what, what bracket they get into. Uh, we'll stick with the Saturday games. A dominant win. Another win for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Look, it's clear that this team is scorching hot. They are just playing out of their fucking minds right now. But, you know, I'm not going to put them in hot and who's hot and who is not uh, ever because, you know, I already talked about how hot they are almost every single time. So, no reason to. And I'm trying to do a little unbiased who's hot and who is not. But really... From start to finish, they were dominant. Their best defensive performance of the season, without a doubt. I mean, look, without, if you take Trace Jackson Davis, who played tremendous this game, uh, out of the equation, the Hoosiers were just 11-36, which is just a hair over 30% from the field. You know, Ohio State, let, let TJD get his points. You know, let, let have the other guys try to beat you. Well, the other guys could not beat us today. And it was efficient offense from the Buckeyes again. E.J. Liddell and Justice Swain combined to have 35 points. The two of them continue to play some red-hot basketball for the Buckeyes. Yeah, their season average, they average about 10 overs per game. Right at that average this game with the 10 turnovers. And really, just it was a break from the consistent three-point shooting that they've been doing a lot recently. A lot of the time, Ohio State's been shooting 20 to 33s a game. This game, they shot just 16 and really dominated inside. I mean, Liddell's mid-range game was just on fire. Dwayne was getting to the hoop. I mean, Dwayne Washington, his slump seems to be over. He, you know, he, he didn't shoot great the last two games, but it wasn't at the levels of his shooting performance during that, re, during that slump. But this game, you know, he shot 4 of 8, 2 of 4 from downtown, and had good shot selection. Dwayne Washington, we like to see. C.J. Walker was tremendous on defense, continued to play big minutes off the bench. And I'm going to talk about the bracket once I finish recapping these games. But Ohio State, they were on the one line in the initial bracket. And, you know, it's rightfully so. Uh, Michigan State had one of the worst performances of the Tom Izzo era. Uh, and they lost, they were having just 58 points at home. And they were blown out by Iowa. 
you know, I, I picked him to win this game. I should not have. I said it's February. Tom Izzo playing against this Luca Garza. This is where Tom Izzo does his Tom Izzo thing and turns it around. No, boy, I was dead wrong. They get hammered at home by the Hawkeyes, who now have won back-to-back games following that skid. And the defense you know, has really improved the last two games for Iowa against both Rutgers and Michigan State. But also, how about this? You know, it wasn't even Luca Garza doing all this game. What, what, you know, you take Luca Garza out of the game, other guys have to beat you. Well, Wieskamp was fantastic with 21 points. McCaffrey dropped 16 points. And Noonji, who had a great game against the Buckeyes, was 7 of 11, had 18 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists. This kid is going to be a superstar for the Hawkeyes, especially when he's fully back from his torn ACL. Uh, what other great games were there this week? Uh, you had Kentucky-Auburn. This was a really exciting game to watch. Kentucky gets a solid win over the Tigers. Uh, Sharif Cooper was very limited in this game. Didn't do much for Auburn. You know, it was weird seeing the best freshman on the floor in a Kentucky game not being from Kentucky. And for them, you know, when Cooper first came back, the Tigers were had a lift. Looked like they could maybe start making noise in the SEC. But then now they lost for the fourth time in five games. They're 11 and 11. They're 11 and 11. See ya, Auburn. Uh, Tennessee. They continue to be the frauds that I've been saying that they are all along. And they get blown out by LSU. A game which I, you know, picked LSU. When I saw LSU was plus three and plus 148 on the money line, that was easy. Uh, look, LSU, big win for them, though. They get themselves back into the tournament picture. They play, they play themselves from into the tournament to on the bubble, uh, potentially being out. At least this one over Tennessee keeps them off the bubble and in the tournament for now. So, big win, as Coach O would say. Go Tigers. Uh, Duke, they win over NC State in a blowout. Not much to take away from that. I mean, congrats, you beat NC State, Duke. You're not back. Uh, Missouri, they lost to Arkansas, their second straight loss after beating Alabama. And Missouri is another team who I thought were frauds coming into the year and during the year when they got ranked. And, hey, yeah, I think Missouri frauds. Uh, but Arkansas, you know, I, they were featured on Thursday's on Friday's episode of Who is Hot and Who is Not, and they continue to stay hot. So Eric Musselman, his boys are flexing their muscles right now, and Arkansas is quite possibly the second-best team in the SEC right now with how hot they're playing. Yeah, it's a hot statement, but it could be true. Uh, and then in a battle for Big East supremacy, Creighton just dominated Villanova. Uh, after a few upset losses, people were beating the sleep on Creighton, myself included. I mean, I've been calling them frauds ever since they lost that game to Butler. Uh, but, you know, this was a great win for Creighton. and They needed this win. They blew out Villanova. And, you know, I didn't think Villanova should have been three when they were three. Thought falling them, them falling just a five was way too generous. And now Villanova, it all fell apart for them. In my opinion... They're not even top 10 right now, Villanova. I'll get into this when I get my top 10. But, yeah, just a humiliating loss for them. And this is the key for Creighton. You know, Marcus Zergowski has not had that good of a year for Creighton. Definitely a letdown season for him. But this game, he was 10 of 18, had 25 points. This is the Zergowski that Creighton needs and that they expect to come into the year. This Zergowski shows up. This Creighton team has a legitimate chance to make a run to the Final Four. And that's me saying this. Me, who has hated Creighton all for a lot of the year and has 
you know, caught him fraud, says if Zergowski plays like this, they're a legitimate Final Four contender. Uh, I wanted to save the best for last because this game was not just the best game of the weekend, but in my opinion, Oklahoma versus West Virginia was the game of the season in college basketball. A thrilling double overtime game that was back and forth between the Sooners and the Mountaineers. You know, West Virginia, their big three of Sean McNeil, Derek Culver, and Deuce McBride were fantastic. You had Sean McNeil, any time they needed a three, was just hitting a three. They're down three, hits it, tie game. They're down four, it's a three, one point game. I mean, Miles McBride, just, he was fantastic. He did a bit of everything, and Culver continued to be a beast inside. This was so much fun to watch. I mean, Oklahoma looked really good in the first half. They ended up taking a seven-point lead into the half. But you know when you play the Huggy Bears and the Mountaineers, no dot, no big lead is really safe against them. You don't want to go against Bobby Huggins and them boys. Uh, so, yeah, just I, I mean, this, this was so much fun to watch. All my friends are saying, oh, come play Warzone, come play Warzone. I'm saying, well, after this game. And first off, how do you put that game on ESPN Plus? How does that game get put on ESPN Plus? You see, I'm a schmohawk and I pay for ESPN Plus because, you know, I want to watch the Big 12 games. And also, I'm a big fan of watching the ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries. But yeah, I mean, how is a ranked, a ranked matchup of two Big 12 teams on ESPN Plus? I mean, it's kind of bullshit. That's literally telling people, oh yeah, uh, if you want to watch these two teams, you got to pay for them. And a lot of America missed the game of the year in college basketball. I mean... What a tremendous game. Austin Reeves was fantastic for the Sooners in this game. And the entire starting five was in double figures. So much fun to watch. So much back and forth action. And a big win for Boomer Sooner Nation. Who now? Boomer Sooner is probably the second best team in the Big 12. I know I just said it was West Virginia on the last episode. Well, when you beat the second best team, you tend to become the second best team. So... Great win for the Sooners. Huge. They should probably move up to the two-line on the initial bracket following that. And if I'm going to talk about the initial bracket, let's get into my reactions. Uh, the one seeds, Zaga, Baylor, us, uh, that team up north, I agree with that. They've been, they're the four best teams in the country right now. They, you know, they got it right there. Two seeds, Alabama, Illinois, Villanova, and Houston. Uh, so, by the way, uh, this is my reaction. So the bracket came out before Saturday's games. So the seedings don't take into account Saturday's games. So I'm going to take that too. I'm not going to say, oh, like, like, like I just saw, I just listed the two seeds, which were Bama, Illinois, Houston, and Nova. And I'm not going to say, how's Nova a two seed when they just lost to Creighton? Personally, they deserve to be a two seed at the time. You know, now I would knock them out of the top 10. But at that time, Villanova did deserve to be a two seed. So I'm not going to knock on the committee for that. Uh, I don't hate Houston being a two seed. However, I potentially would have moved Houston down to a three seed and West Virginia up to the two seed just for that big win over Texas Tech. Uh, the three seeds were West Virginia, Oklahoma, UVA, and Tennessee. You know, I just mentioned I would have possibly moved Virginia, West Virginia up to two line at the time that bracket came out. Uh, you know, now obviously I probably would put Oklahoma at that two line instead of West Virginia. But how the hell is Tennessee a three seed? I mean, I've been saying Tennessee is F-R-A-U-D-S. Frauds, frauds, frauds. Even before they lost that game to LSU, they had no business being a three seed. In fact, all the teams that were listed on the four lot in the initial bracket, 
I would have put as a three ahead of Tennessee. And hell, I would make the argument that Tennessee shouldn't even have been one of the top 16 teams in the initial bracket. I am not a fan of this team. I think they are complete frauds. And honestly, it stunned me that they were that they were in the in this bracket, especially be as high as they were, to be higher than to be higher than Iowa, to be higher than Texas, to be higher than Texas Tech, Missouri. Those who were all those guys were the four seeds. Missouri, who just beat okay, I, I guess maybe that Ole Miss loss is why Missouri fell to the four line. But come on, Missouri is better than Tennessee in the SEC. And I think for the four seeds, Texas was too low. They most certainly would have been the three seed. I know it would have looked a little weird having four Big 12 teams or three Big 12 teams on the three line, four Big 12, yeah, four Big 12 teams on the total one through three seeding lines. But hey, so the fact of the matter is that all those teams are better than Tennessee. Uh, so that's it for the bracket. I'm going to give my top 10 this week. So... At 10, I'm putting West Virginia, even though they went 1-1, much like I did with Oklahoma last week. You know, the Oklahoma game last week was a toss-up between them and Texas Tech. Could have went the other way, much like West Virginia, Oklahoma. Uh, So because of that, they're jumping to my top 10. And I think West Virginia, like I've said on the show, has the best big three in the country. Uh, Number 9, I'm putting Houston, you know. I, I think I get I, I leave Houston at nine and out of the top eight and a two line simply because of their light schedule. That being said, they're still a really good team. They're one of the toughest teams defensively, and no matter who they draw in the tournament, they're gonna give they're gonna be a pain in the ass for whoever has to play them. And Quentin Grimes is just fantastic. I will say, no doubt, a great team. No issue with them being on the two line at all. I personally, because of their light schedule, just leave them at number nine, and at number eight. So this would have been my number nine initially, Alabama. You know, they fell outside my top ten. They fell outside the AP top ten after that loss to Missouri. And I'm not stood on the SEC. But this team just put up 110 points. 110 points in 40 minutes of college basketball. Excuse me. Excuse me. 115 points in 40 minutes of college basketball. That's absurd to do this in a division or, excuse me, a conference game. What a dominant performance from Alabama. You know, I, I didn't want to talk about this as best games of the week because that's not a good game. That's not a good game when you're beating your opponent by 34 points. But it's enough to get Alabama back into the top, t- back into the top 10 at number 8 in my top 10 rankings because what a performance from this team. I mean, Nate Oates, hats off to him. I honestly, you know, as much as I love Chris Holman and what he's done for the Bucs and as great as what Jawan Howard's done, and, you know, there's two undefeated teams. Nate Oates might be the coach of the year for what he's done for this Bama team. At number seven, I'm taking one of the teams to beat Alabama, a team that moved up a few spots after last week. Boomer Sooner Nation. You know, they were pretty controversial as a top ten spot last week after their one-on-one week. But then they won their last two games, including beating West Virginia in that great game I just talked about. They have Lon Kruger, who's one of the best coaches in the country. Honestly, I'm excited to see how far he takes this team because he's a hell of a coach, Kruger, and with Austin Reeves, and uh, just uh, that uh, Mans, Manaz, whatever they, they Harkless, a lot of guys in that starting five, D- Darian Harmon, so much talent on this OU team. They're not led by that one guy where it was just Trey Young or it was just Buddy Heald, but this is a deep team, and oh man, I can't wait to see how far they go in March. Top six UVA. 
Uh, you know, they've been dominant the, the ACC. You know, I think their record is a little bit better than their team is. But, hey, they've been playing some great basketball. They're one of the hottest teams in the country. And for that, I put them at six. And the top five is going to repeat itself. Uh, five, Illinois. Four, Ohio State. Three, the team up north. Two, Baylor, despite their lengthy pause. And one, Gonzaga. Uh, I'm not going to give much of a breakdown there. That was my, the same top five last week. And it's going to stay that top five. And when the AP poll comes out on Monday... So I'm recording this Sunday night currently. That'll, I guarantee that will be the same top five in the AP poll. All right, and I just want to wrap up college basketball here by giving my pre- a preview of some of the best games of the week. Uh, so you'll be listening to this Tuesday, uh, but you know I'm recording before Monday. So Florida State hosts Virginia in a battle of the ACC's top two teams. Uh, I like Florida State to win this game. I mean... They have one of the longest home winning streaks in ACC history, and they just they don't lose at home. I just I also just think that they are a better team than Virginia, even though they had that almost loss to Wake Forest at home, which would have been inexcusable. But yeah, give me the Seminoles in this game. If Virginia had the guards like they usually do, I would have picked Virginia. But this Virginia team is a lot more forward based, and it just it's not good for Florida State style game. I think Arkansas continues to stay hot and will beat UF. This is on Tuesday, by the way. Uh, the Gators have not been great on the road, and Arkansas is playing some amazing basketball right now, led by Moody. So give me the I like the Razorbacks in this. Uh, and in Big Ten play, we have Purdue hosting Michigan State. You know, Mackey Arena is one of the toughest places to play in college basketball. And Purdue has dominated Michigan State the last two years, winning three straight. I like Matt Painter to make it four straight against the Spartans and for Michigan State to uh, season to really end. Because honestly, if they lose this game, I don't see any way they can come back and make the tournament unless there's a miracle run in the Big Ten tournament. But honestly, I don't see it happening. In the Big East, you have Xavier playing just their second game after COVID, going to St. John's. I think, you know, a lot of teams, you see them, how rusty they are once they come off the COVID pause. I think Xavier's going to stay a little rusty. We saw how rusty they were against UConn, and they're going to lose the second straight game to St. John's. And then you have Oklahoma playing Texas. Uh, Oklahoma beat Texas earlier in the year when Texas was missing a lot of guys due to COVID. However, Texas being healthy, I think Texas wins this game. And remember, that's it's what I said last week. It's what I said that Oklahoma was going to beat West Virginia because – West Virginia just beat Texas Tech. Everyone thought Texas Tech was the second-best team, right? Then West Virginia beat Texas Tech, and everyone thinks West Virginia is the second-best team. What do I say? Oklahoma is going to defeat West Virginia. So now Oklahoma beat West Virginia. Now everyone thinks Oklahoma is the second-best team in the Big 12. What's going to happen? Texas is going to beat Oklahoma, and then everyone's going to think, oh, Texas is the second-best team in the Big 12. So, yeah. I mean – out behind Baylor, the rest of the Big 12 is just a mess. Although it is clear that Kansas is behind Texas Tech, West Virginia, Texas, and Oklahoma in the Big 12. Texas is still the sixth best team. Uh, moving on to Wednesday in the ACC, we have Louisville hosting Syracuse. I like Louisville to win this game, although Syracuse hasn't played a lot better recently. So, but, you know, it's not going to be a cakewalk for Louisville, but. I like them to win this game. Ole Miss looks to win their fifth straight game uh, against LSU, and I think they will. And honestly, if Ole Miss wins this game, they've played themselves out of the bubble, okay? They sat at 
eight and eight, much of an afterthought in the SEC. All of a sudden, they have one four straight, a ranked wins against Tennessee, ranked wins against Missouri. You know, the Auburn win looked pretty good at the time. So, Ole Miss has a very good resume, especially if they can beat LSU. That's a hard resume to deny as sitting at 13-8. and eight. They, They're playing themselves into the tournament right now. Uh, Thursday, we have a, tri- a trifecta of three Big Ten games. Uh, we have Iowa playing Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin right now is just playing terrible basketball. Their slow style is not meant to keep up with Iowa. Iowa just plays way too fast for Wisconsin. It will be similar to what happened the first meeting against Penn State. It will be similar to what happened against uh, that team up north the first time they met. It will be similar to what happened to their meeting against Ohio State where Iowa's offense will be way too much for the Badgers to stop. So give me the Hawkeyes in this game. Uh, ahead of their big clash Sunday, Ohio State plays Penn State while that team up north plays Rutgers. So it's going to be a tough game for Ohio State. Obviously, they might be looking ahead to the game against the Wolverines. And historically, the Buckeyes have struggled against Penn State, especially at Bryce Jordan Arena. That being said, I just think we're playing too damn good right now. Penn State is really not that good this year. Uh, they're probably better than their losing record indicates. And they obviously gave us a tough time we played just a few weeks ago. But I think that we're going to end up taking this game. Just E.J. Liddell, Justice Suing. Dwayne Washington, C.J. Walker, everyone's just playing incredible right now. Kyle Young, the depth of this team is incredible. And it's going to set up one hell of a game on Sunday because obviously I think that, that, that the Wolverines will beat Rutgers. You know, Rutgers, I respect them. I think they're a good team. They've obviously played well this year. They played themselves back into the top 25 after that losing streak. But they just are nowhere near as talented as the team up north is. So... Give me the Wolverines in that game, and it'll set up a hell of a three-versus-four showdown on Sunday. It sucked that we have not gotten to see that one-versus-two Baylor-Gonzaga matchup, but three-versus-four might be the next best thing. And now joining me is a very special guest, Gilles Gallant of Odd Shark. Gilles, how are we doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you know, I'm glad you we were able to talk about your first name because that's definitely one of the most confusing first names to pronounce. No, it's all good. And even where I'm from in Canada, it's a very common name, no different than Josh, Matthew, all that stuff. But anywhere else, it's like uh, people just see the ES on it and they just they want to – or either that or they don't want to offend me, so they'll try to like overpronounce it. Maybe like they'll be like – Gilles or something like that. Just, <laughs> it's funny. So I, I laugh at it now at my age. So for those of you that don't know Gilles, he is a, a writer for Odd Shark, which is a sports betting website, providing a lot of NFL and NBA analysis. He's a ver- very, very good with prop bets, especially with any time touchdown scores. He calls himself the TD prop connoisseur, and there's, there, he, there's a good reason he calls himself that because he is the master at it. I've been tailing him since my junior year of college, so about the last three years. And yeah, so Gilles, I just want to ask you, how did you initially, you know, getting getting into just gambling in general, and eventually, how did you break into the industry? Sure. So, I mean, I've always been a huge basketball and, and football nut, always following NBA and NFL, pretty much since I was a young kid, like 10, 11 years old. Like, the first football game I ever watched was... Uh, the Super Bowl in 1993 when the uh, Cowboys beat the uh, the Bills 
in the uh, the second uh, Super Bowl win there in 1993. So yeah, I'm I'm old. I'm 36. <laughs> so yeah, I've been uh, I've been watching and following sports for a long time. So I really didn't get into sports gambling though, probably till closer to my mid 20s, just because. Here in Canada, we don't have we didn't have the infrastructure in place to be able to go up, like for offshore bank accounts. I mean, obviously the internet had to catch up and everything else with what people wanted to do, um, but just there wasn't really that much of an avenue other than just you know a local bookie or just you know me and you just talking and being like, hey man, I put twenty bucks on the game. He's like, all right, I'll I'll fade you and I'm putting twenty bucks <laughs> in, like a gentleman's bet kind of thing. And I mean that's fun and whatever. But uh, it wasn't until my late 20s when I really started to get into sports betting and really figuring out how to use offshore accounts. Like, I remember, like, I mean, my first, like, two weeks, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Like, I was like, what is a minus spread? All right, so they have to win by how many? Like, I don't, I didn't get it. The money lines made sense because it's a black and white bet, essentially. You're, you're saying whether this team will win or whether they'll lose. But everything else, like, total spreads, everything else, it was all foreign to me for the first, like, couple years of, of betting. And then... Uh, so what I did is, uh, to, to backtrack a little bit, so uh, a gentleman named Joe Osborne, the Mr. Joe Osborne, uh, we went to college together. We went to journalism school, and um, that's where we kind of honed our chops, talked about kind of the sports that we were into. And, um, you know, we always kept in touch, but I went my way with, uh, with sports betting and, and just kind of my career, and he went his way. And uh, as we were going, he... Um, he ended up uh, emerging a little bit with Odd Shark and uh, really becoming a, a face of the brand and the company and social media and whatnot. I mean, you see it now. He's got like over, what is it, like 55,000 followers, something like that, 55,000 followers. And that's hard to do in this industry. So we did that. And I've always been writing and he knew what my writing style was. He knew that I was making bets and whatnot. So when a job position opened for a writing job, especially because he knew that I had the journalism background and, and that I had done some uh, news and other type of things in media, he just, you know, pitched me an idea. said, why don't you come work for me, man? And, uh, you know, send me some writing samples to see what you can do. And, uh, so I did that and you know, they liked it. Now, obviously I'm not as good as I was then, like, you know, or like then I was terrible writer. <laughs> if I to go back and look at some of the stuff I was writing then, not to say the handicapping was bad, just the writing in general was bad because I wasn't very good at writing long form articles like that. And then obviously uh, things have developed more. And, uh, you know, just to kind of answer your question more about the sports betting side, I was always kind of sports betting once it was available, but then kind of Joe kind of introduced me to the idea of maybe creating content around those kinds of things like picks and whatnot. So he uh, brought me over and uh, said, why don't you come work for Odd Shark? And three years later, uh, here we are. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause the Odd Shark was, at least when I was at Ohio state, I was, I'd read, I'd read a lot of your articles, read a lot of Joe's articles being in New Jersey. I know the website's uh, unauthorized of you in Jersey, so that definitely has sucked. But yeah, I've always like, especially the, oh, the whole breakdowns of everything, seeing teams' stats you know, against the spread, over unders, home away, home home over unders, home spreads for NBA and college basketball games has been huge, uh, especially with college basketball because that to me is my favorite sport uh, to to bet on. It just it's but you know the it's just fun to watch. I love it how competitive it is. Power five play. So I want to know what's uh, what's your favorite sport in general well, i mean nba and nfl really i mean nba technically is always going to be my first love i wanted to touch on that college basketball angle that you you talked about because mm -hmm. i love betting on college basketball too but for the reasons i'm not sure if we all have the same reasons for why for me one of the reasons why i like it is that the lines aren't always as sharp 
mm-hmm. as NBA and NFL. Yeah. And, and that's not saying that betters aren't there or the odds makers aren't making good lines. Just the problem is, is that you're, you're, you're dealing with amateur sports. So amateur sports, there's a lot more factors in play as far as like, you know, just rest and recuperation and preparation and, and tradition and just athletes and all-stars and whatnot. Um, college really lends itself to failure and success on a greater scale to be able to make money. Whereas NBA, I love it. But at the end of the day, they're professionals, they're getting paid, you know, they'll probably sit out a game here or there and then completely mess up the spread. And then you're not really sure how this five is going to match up against this other team's five because, you know, they've only they haven't played with this player before. And there's a lot of things to weigh for NBA. So that's why it might take me a little bit longer to maybe cap an NBA game as opposed to a college game. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, NBA and NFL, just it's it's the bee's knees. Like I basically for the entire bubble this past year in 2020 i think i bet every day like it was and normally i don't do that normally i don't i don't post uh you know every pick that i make just because that's not really my game like i'm not i'm not here to post picks just to just to get followers that's not really what i'm trying to do like really what i'm trying to do is just show you maybe this one pick that i'm really really confident in or this angle that i've been looking at that i really wanted to share with somebody and maybe you tell me maybe you don't maybe it works maybe it doesn't because for me, a lot of the time, I'm trying to come up with a system that will work, but at the same time, you got to take some swings to see if your system is backing it up. If you just say, like, it's always the day that I'll put a model together, I have a really good feeling about a day of how I'm going to play these games, but then I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to sit back and let the model do its work and see if it works. And then uh, they all hit, and then I didn't make any money, and then the day that when I think my model is, is on point, and then I play them all, and then I finish with a losing record, and then people are like, your model sucks, like, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, you deal with that kind of thing. So in the bubble, I was betting pretty much the entire thing. Like, I made way more money in the playoffs than I did during the regular season. And then, of course, with NFL, I'm always betting sides and totals, but touchdown scores and mm-hmm. live turnover props are kind of where I've been making a lot of money over the last couple of seasons. Oh, but yeah, to, to go back to your original question, just the re- I guess the reason why I wanted to bring that up is just I love the fact that you're into college hoops like that because college hoops is just there's real money to be made on the way that the lines are built by odds makers. But for me, because of my upbringing and, and how I follow the game and the type of game that I relate to mostly, it's it's definitely the NBA. So NBA and NFL would definitely be my uh, top two sports I bet on. Yeah, I love all, loved NFL. Like NBA, I love more player props. Although the bubble, like uh, like last season, I think I maybe touched like. 10, 15 NBA games total pre-bubble, and I was tailing you a shit ton in the bubble, especially mm. especially with the Nuggets overs. Yeah, uh, and, I remember that. Yeah, because they, they their entire, uh, I want to say the entire seeding games, they were 8-0 in their seeding mm-hmm. games. And then in the first round, and maybe even against the Jazz, I'm pretty sure all... Except for Game 7, except for Game 7. Yeah, which, yeah, right, because that was the one where, yes, where scoring just completely dropped off, but they still had a, a total, I think I want to say, like 235. Um, but still, yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of value to be had on certain trends. The bubble was just different, too, because we only had 22 teams. There. Yeah. You already knew most of those teams were checked out. You never wanted to bet on a game that involved, like, Washington or, you know, uh, yeah. Brooklyn when they upset the Bucks or something like that. But you weren't really – you didn't. You could even ask the odds makers. They weren't getting a ton of action on those other than maybe on the favorites. <laughs> that that... The playoffs, man. The playoffs were just so deadly because – 
for me this past year again in the bubble, I just identified the Miami Heat as the team that I want. That's the team. That live I bet. I just what I would do is I'd live bet them always because they would always keep going down the heat. The worst was. Game, I think it was game three against the Bucks. I'm in the car and I'm like, "What's the score?" I see, Bucks are down by 14. I'm like, "Go oh, live line. What's the live line?" Uh, turns like plus. I see like plus 600. All of a sudden, the light turns green. And I'm like, "Oh fuck, fuck, fuck!" Like can't go. Like and all of a sudden, I have to go. I never end up taking it. Get to where I need to go. And all of a sudden, I see the heater winning. And I'm the king of looking a line. I'm like, not gonna touch it. And then it hits all the time. Well, that that brings up a funny story because. Uh... <clears throat> Uh, this is the the life of the sports better kind of thing of like what I, what happened to me with that specific game that you're talking about game three of the Bucks because that night was also game one of the uh, Lakers Rockets. The Rockets and Lakers. So I go on a camping trip that weekend and I'm off grid. I've got no cell service. I'm not watching the games. The night before, I had taken the other series. I was trying to take some underdogs and I got burned. I probably went like mm-hmm. one and two in the night and I was just sour and just mad about how it went. So I was like, you know what? F this. I'm putting money line down on the Heat in game three. So that means they're going to go up three games to none on the Bucks, which essentially seals that series. Yep. So again, that, that line should have probably been closer to plus 250 pregame, just for the historical context. Mm-hmm. And then I took the Rockets money line against the Lakers, along with Rockets race to 20, and bet them all. They were So I think it was plus 180, plus 190, and then a plus 150. And I just put my one unit on each one left, and uh, I was like, well, whatever. I, like, fuck this kind of thing. Just like, this is what I'm betting on. I come back the next morning to see I went 3-0. and Because it was just like, holy. Like, I couldn't even believe it that, like, the Heat were able to pull that off. So that was a fun memory for the bubble. That was one of those more fun memories. And then, of course, the next round against the Celtics. Because, again, when you're betting against a team like Boston uh, or Philadelphia, these two markets, you pretty much are just a target number one every time you bet against mm-hmm. them. Even if, even if their team is shit, like, you know what I mean? You're betting. It's like, oh, you know, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, blah, 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 yeah. blah. So, you know, and then it happens. So that's the life of a sports better is that uh, you can uh, just kind of have these moments where you just say, F this. I'm, I'm going hard and I'm, and I'm saying, like, I'm going completely, I'm zagging while everybody is zigging. And it can work out for you. Uh, but I don't recommend that all the time. Obviously, there were stats and trends that backed up those plays. But I got lucky. I would probably say out of those, those three bets, I got lucky on the Rockets bet because the Rockets pretty much got swept right after that. They lost in five games. That yeah. was the only game they won against the Lakers. It was just one of those where the Lakers wanted to give the Rockets false hopes pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's uh, yeah, probably for me with the bubble, the two best were – uh, well, no, this wasn't the best. This was just something that would happen. You know, the bubble was during quarantine, during a time where I wasn't seeing people. So, you know, I'm spending, like, Wednesday night just, like, drinking. I get in the bed. Probably no one probably going to sleep till noon. I look like the 12 o'clock line. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll take Clippers minus whatever. Next thing I know, Kawhi, Paul, George, Lou are all sitting out. I'm um, So, yeah, I got to stop taking them the night before. But uh, was the best was de- definitely when Denver was plus 810 to win the series against the Clippers, I'm like, that's just such good value. You got to take it. So I was obviously thrilled with that. Yeah, I mean, kudos to everybody who took that. I personally didn't end up taking them when they were down three-one. I should have. I, I wish have taken I... them even too when they were against the Jazz. I just didn't think it was going to happen. It was <clears> like by the time I got on board the train, I thought it could happen against the Lakers, and uh, no, it did not happen. So mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you live and you learn. You just want to try to make sure you leave the bubble with more money than you left. I think I left with about. Not a lot. Like I only left with like 16, 17 units up, which is just I'm happy to make money. But the idea of like 
trying to bet in those circumstances, even this year, <clears throat> excuse me, like even this year, I'm not betting NBA as regularly as, as other people would think, mm-hmm. even uh, because the reality is just the lack of crowd in, um, is really, really a detriment yeah. like, to, to the way people are handicapping. You can look at all the stats you want. You can see these guys not being in lineups and whatever else, but it drives me crazy that you'll see, like the other night, <clears throat> what was the game? I, I took Blazers money line at home against the 76ers. And you look at the lineup, and the Blazers lineup, like they don't have Nurkic, they don't have CJ. Mm-hmm. Like they, on paper, they should not beat the Sixers, whether it be a home, away, or whatever. And then there's no home crowd, even for Portland. Yeah. And here comes the fourth quarter, and Carmelo Anthony goes off. Yep. You know, drops 15 to, I think, I'm sorry, 17 points in the fourth quarter. You know, seals the game for the, for the Blazers. Um, that was just one of those cases where, you know, I'm trying to share my bets with the people in the public and trying to see if there's a bet that maybe – you know, other people could see a trend that I like, that other people would like. And there were some stats to back it up after the fact that the Sixers can't shoot threes. Like, yes, they have Seth Curry, and that's great. Like, but he's right now their only three-point shooter. Like, you can say Tyrese Maxey is, Matt, Matisse Tybal is just not there. So there were some, there was data there that showed that from a matchup standpoint, if the Blazers shot well, which they did to close the game, that's obvious. I needed that to happen to win. But... They were right there even if they weren't because of the fact that the Sixers were doing all their damage in the paint and Joel Embiid had to keep up with Ennis Cantor the entire game or uh, to a lesser extent uh, some of their other forwards. So uh, you just those are kinds of things that I use when I'm handicapping. I'm just looking at matchups but then also projecting whether or not this could actually happen. And You kind of have to weigh the odds on those fronts. Like will Joel Embiid drop 40 and 20 and they win by 20 points? It could easily happen. It could easily happen, but again, it was just that was the only way that I saw the Sixers being able to just completely destroy the Blazers based on what the odds were and the spread was. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, I actually want so that actually brings me to one of my other questions. You know, before you give out a pick to the public, how much uh, like you know preparation goes into it? Because you also do give like analysis and reasoning. You don't like I know plenty of people, myself included, that will tweet out uh, Blazers money line, uh, LS like. LSU money line. I was just thinking about some yeah. of what I took Saturday, uh, and that's usually what I do. Because I'll be honest, I, I don't go with my research heavily, but sometimes I'm just like I have a hunch, especially a college basketball like a home like a team at home that's always an underdog, even with no fans. I'm just like teams traveling still have struggled. Like I, you know, Tennessee being four point favorites against LSU this Saturday was just like Tennessee's not good. So I usually go off like a hunch. But I was wondering how much research and stuff goes in it for you. I think it depends, right? Like, I think the one thing that I'll say is uh, I, I, I'm guilty of that, too. I don't necessarily always post my analysis with my pick. I do mm-hmm. sometimes, but I don't always because the reason being, there's a couple reasons, really. The main reason is that I don't want to play Twitter gymnastics. One mm-hmm. of the things that I can't stand is that, obviously, there's only 240 characters, whatever the amount of characters there are per tweet. I don't like doing a whole thread on what the reasoning is. Yeah. Because it's a for one, it's a lot of effort, and just two, this goes to the second reason of why I don't really post the analysis as often as I could, is that when it comes to NBA and even college hoops, every single person who follows me thinks they know just as much as me or more. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time, I'll post a stat or a trend that I think is relevant or I think that is actually going to be in play for why I make a bet, and more often than not, people use that as an opportunity to chop me down. I don't really have the time to be on social media all day posting my reasons, countering somebody else's reason, countering that counter, all that other stuff that comes with being on Twitter and social media in general. 
I'm, and a lot of the time too, I think this is the other thing that people don't really realize with me is that I don't post on Twitter just to post pics. Like that's not my main job. Mm -hmm. My main job is I work for Odd Shark. I create content, whether that be via writing or video or whatever else. That's where my main salary comes from. So for me, when I post pics, a lot of what I'm doing is posting pics based on the research and the time that I've already invested in researching these. Yeah. So more often than not, you can probably assure that if I'm posting a pic, it's been researched. I'm not just going to look at a line and not look at the matchup, not look at who's playing, not look at recent play, not look at, you know, just overall matchups, you know, and just post a pic and just be like, I like the line of plus 200. Good luck, you know, kind of thing. Um, I think that's one thing I would say to people. It's like assured that if I made a pick, there's a reason why, like from a research standpoint. So that's part of the reason why I don't post as much analysis on Twitter. Now, going back to the original question of how much time it takes me, it really depends on the matchup. And I find it actually takes me more time if players aren't playing. Mm -hmm. So when a guy, like say I wanted to play the Clippers tonight, but Kawhi gets ruled out. Okay. That means what I need to do right now is I need to I need to do matchup analysis. I need to see how the Clippers have played without Kawhi in the lineup. How many minutes have they played without Kawhi in the lineup? Kind of what's their net rating? Do they play still well defensively? All right, now we got to look at this from another inverse. Let's look at this other team and see how they play with their five. Oh, they're missing their star player too? Okay, then I need to kind of juggle that. And that might take me some time to run some new starting five net ratings and what else just to kind of see – how they match up and how they project and whether or not they're getting, you know, are they getting out rebounded the entire time that they play? This is the starting lineup that they're probably going to have to rely on for at least 30 of the 48 minutes. You know, that those kinds of things, are they going to win those minutes? So that might take me a little bit longer. Now, if you just give me the regular starting five, like if you, if I know that it's the regular Clippers starting five versus say the Phoenix Suns starting five, I probably don't need to do as much research. I have a pretty good idea of how these teams match up because that's the one thing that I weigh probably the most is while I do rely on stats, for me, because of being a former basketball player, um, following the NBA since, I mean, I want to say now 1991 is probably when I started watching basketball, <laughs> uh, really following it from a statistical standpoint uh, from the late 90s onward, for me, it's all about matchups. And one of the things, that, because I have been watching basketball for so long, I've actually had to probably do more adapting than somebody like yourself or other people who started watching basketball since the early 2000s, mid-2000s, because I still have the 90s basketball model of strength and bullying ball, like that kind of thing, still stuck in my head is how to win basketball games. Mm -hmm. So that's taken me some time. Uh, to adjust. Now, the one thing that I have noticed, especially in the last five years, or really, if you just want to go since, say, 2014 before the Warriors took over, that style of basketball still was very prominent in the playoffs. Yeah. As far as, like half court basketball, uh, bullying all the way up the court, you know, still a lot of hand checking and whatever else. And they still will allow a little bit of that more in the playoffs, but obviously it's significantly reduced to when I was first starting to gamble back in the uh, early 2000s. So, uh, to kind of just wrap it all up, um, for me, again, that's kind of why, again, I don't bet as much in the regular season just because I find that uh, you're really playing, like, the urgency. Like, one of the things that I hate using as a capping tool is urgency or uh, mm -hmm. I'm motivated or uh, uh, there's a revenge factor and stuff like that. Like, to me, those things are just 
placebos that people like betting placebos that people make up when their bet wins or their bet loses. Like, so when they lose, it's like, Oh, they were at the strip club last night. They weren't motivated, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it's like, Oh, they, they're coming out hard tonight against Phoenix because they, or they're not going to go hard tonight against Phoenix because they got the Lakers tomorrow. And that's a look ahead game. Like kind of thing. It's like, man, just, just stop. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> the way that people are playing basketball is they're, they're going to try to win the game. That's it. They don't care about the total. They don't care about the first half deficit or the first half lead. They're just trying to make sure that they have more points than the other team. So that's why a lot of the time I end up just kind of gravitating towards these underdog money lines because uh, my my betting history and betting innuendo is I only really like to take plus money bets. Like for me, I, like as I've gotten older and I've lost so many bets on the minus 110 of taking a spread here or, you know, maybe taking a touchdown score that is like a starting running back that you take at the minus 120 thinking that you're you're taking a safe bet, and really you're not. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, you have just as much chance, in my opinion, of cashing a plus three underdog on the money line than you do taking the minus three on the favorite. So um, that's kind of where I would go with that. It's just I like to really weigh matchups for basketball games. NFL, you know, we can go down that road a little bit later on the pod if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, with, uh, I'm definitely like that. I, I usually look for the underdogs. I don't think I've touched, no, I've touched, I think, maybe three NBA spreads this year. Sixers, Wizards. I think the Wizards beat the Sixers. Nets, Wizards, when the Wizards beat the Nets. I'm like, yeah, this is why I shy away from NBA. The one thing with the NBA I do, the placebo, the revenge factor, anytime an NBA player returns to where they used to play, I always take their player over. But it, it kind of screwed me with KD the other night. Although the LeBron, LeBron the over against the Cavs the couple games ago, that was yeah. nice because that nearly cashed in the first half. And one of the things, too, that you have to weigh with that, and I, I do agree that there is a little bit maybe more motivation, maybe even game planning from the coach of mm-hmm. maybe running a few sets for that player to see if they can try to get their shot off. Um, the one thing that I would just add the caveat is, is that the players that you just mentioned are all studs, like yeah. KD or LeBron. If you're like, oh, well, uh, Kevin Love's going back to Minnesota, you know, or something like that, like, and he's, you know, first game back from injury or something, it's like, oh, and he put up a nice tidy six and eight. Thanks for going over your over 12 and a half point prop, you know what I mean, or something like that. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that, like, I think, uh, I think you're on a good track with that. I think just though it's the same thing with underdogs is that not every underdog is created equal. Like, mm-hmm. you can't just be like, okay, well, uh, I, I cashed a plus three on the Suns over the Clippers the other night, that means I'm going to hit this plus three of the Mavericks over the Lakers. It's like, no, 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 no. This isn't the same spread. This isn't the same game. This isn't the same matchup. So, yeah, but I agree with you. The player props on the revenge angle, especially when they're returning to the home arena, it's a good call. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one. I also, I'm like you, I always try to sniff out a good underdog on the money line. Uh, you t- you were just mentioning, you know, NFL and, you know, touchdown scores. So my friend and reoccurring guest of the program, Vinio Penasano, he felt like this season, anytime touchdown scores, the, the odds have, like, diminished from, let's say, like, even to now minus 120, minus 130. Anyone that asks, you know, do you feel any resp- do you feel if that's happened? And if it does, do you feel responsible because you've nailed a lot of great anytime touchdown scores? Uh, I mean... Here's the deal. So, obviously, I think I am pretty successful with touchdown scores mm-hmm. in my time. Do I have the wherewithal or awareness to think that sports books are monitoring my account specifically and lowering the odds because <laughs> of my success? 
Probably not. Like, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, these are multi-billion dollar companies mm-hmm. that are just raking in millions of dollars every year. Um, and, and some of my money, too, you know, just because it's not like I'm yeah. killing it. Like, maybe, like, this season, like, I just because of the NFL, whatever else, I probably only made, like, I think in prime time, I made, like, 15 units. But when I was betting on Sunday games, like, I think I lost, like, 15 units just in general. So, like, I pretty much broke even on the season. Like, the Super Bowl kind of saved me a little bit and some mm-hmm. of the playoffs. But, okay, so to go back to touchdown scores and the odds, I, I think I would agree with Vinny. And the, here's, here's the example that I would provide for you. So, Tom Brady. Cashed on Tom Brady for this season. He's been great. He scored four touchdowns this season. He scored opening week. He scored against uh, um, uh, Carolina. Like you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and then against the Saints there in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm sure you probably know this, but if you don't, do you know what his average odds were for those three games? The highest odds that he had for any of those games. I'm gonna say the highest was plus eleven hundred. Lower, man. Plus seven hundred, and that was week one against the Saints. That he rushed that touchdown in that opening touchdown with the Bucks because I tracked the odds all year, especially for key players like him, and he was plus seven hundred to score a touchdown. So I didn't bet him because mm-hmm. again, I generally with quarterbacks, especially at the start of the year, I'm looking at ten to one or more value if I'm going to be betting quarterbacks, <clears throat> unless I'm betting like a Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, and then I'm looking at maybe the one fifty to plus two hundred range if you can get Lamar or Josh Allen at plus one ten plus twenty plus 120 rather, you got you got to almost take them because they're the best running back basically player on yeah. your team. But now here's the story. Here's what happened. So last year, uh, this was the year that the Pats, their defense just started off hot. Like they, yeah. they went 8-0. They were just destroying teams. Like Miami looked like trash when they played. Them. Yeah. They beat up on the Jets. They beat up on yeah. the Giants. So against the Giants last year, he scored two touchdowns in that game. Pre-game, I bet it. And people were dubious I even had the odds. I had to post a screenshot. You can look it up on my timeline. It's there. Um, I bet on Tom Brady to score an anytime touchdown at plus 2,500. Think about that just in less in just a little over a year, how much the odds have changed. And let's not be pretending like, you know, that that, uh, Brady is just – you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of, like a quarterback of a pocket quarterback like him who would rush, but like even Patrick Mahomes. Let's use Patrick Mahomes as an example. You know, he's probably around the plus 250, plus 300 range at most. After he scored a couple of touchdowns during the year, he dropped to about 150. Tom Brady is a 43 year old quarterback who literally has one move when it comes to scoring a touchdown, it's and a it's sneak. the goal line sneak. Yeah, it's the only touchdown move he has. And more often than not, even with the Patriots, they would still hand it to a guy like Sony Michelle or even this year, Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is crazy. Like, the fact that the touchdown scores, like, just have dropped significantly to the point where what I think books are starting to see now is that because quarterbacks touch the ball on every friggin' snap, they are just too much of a liability to put at more than plus 1,000 odds to score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they're within the 10-yard line or they're within the 20 any quarterback within the 10-yard line now is a threat to score because of the rules against quarterbacks of hitting them, uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of the new incomers are fairly mobile. They're not all Tom Brady and Drew Brees, like they, who only can do the goal line mm-hmm. sneak. They can, you know, bust out of the pocket and do a bootleg and then just run it in or, um, or in some cases, be so athletic, jump over the offensive line and fucking get it themselves. Um, 
And I think that's the thing, though, is odds makers now are looking at that from a quarterback standpoint. Now, where I was getting a little frustrated, especially with uh, quarter with uh, touchdown scores, is the mid tier guys. Mm-hmm. So the guys that I would always like to bet on for touchdown scores are the second or third wide receiver on the team, maybe the backup tight end, um, occasionally the backup running back, but not often. Brian Pringle was plus eight hundred in the Super Bowl. Yeah, Brian fucking Pringle. Yeah, Byron Pringle. And so it's funny you bring that name up. Uh, I have a funny touchdown score with him. So he has scored two touchdowns now in his career. One this season where it was a punt or a kick return, and then last year against the Colts. I bet on him once in my entire life, and it was that game against the Colts. <laughs> That's so awesome. So that was the game where Patrick Mahomes he, Got uh, hurt. He dislocated his kneecap. And uh, before that play happened at the goal line where he was trying to rush it in for a touchdown like he was scrambling all around and i tweeted out to people who follow me and back then i think i only had like a couple thousand followers or whatever but i tweeted out to people saying like hey this we've only had two kc drives so far and pringle has five targets he has four catches i don't know what's going on i don't know why tyreek and sammy Watkins or demarcus robinson or, or even mccall hardman to a lesser extent at that point in his career I couldn't understand why he was being targeted so much. And I'm telling people, I'm like, look, guys, the anytime odds right now are 20 to 1 for him to score a touchdown, and they're uh, 30 to 1 for first touchdown of the game. Okay. So I put it uh, like, I put like 100 bucks on each one. Just, you know, the, just mm-hmm. thinking, okay, like I'm going to, at least the anytime touchdown I think will come in, and then I'll be laughing. You know, I'll make like 20 units just like that. Yeah. Well,. <laughs> He scores the touchdown off of the breakdown, and my Twitter account just blew up. I had to like turn off my phone, like it was like because people were tailing me. They were sending me tickets, like of the winning tickets, everything else, and I just couldn't believe that that many people were tailing and fading my advice. Like that was like one of the first times that I had ever seen that, like mm-hmm. where I'd seen like literally people sending me betting stuff, being like, "Thank you, thank you," like, and I've never seen that before. So, uh, I don't think touchdown scores as a result have gone down as of me. But I will say that what I have done is I have what I consider promoted a movement of maybe shifting some of that pie of money that you have ready to go where you put a piece here, piece there on size or totals and maybe put shifting more of that money towards touchdown scores. Mm-hmm. And what you're seeing is you're seeing like dudes like the people who tail Byron Pringle or whatever else take those second and third wide receivers and that second that backup tight end. And now you're seeing those guys' odds drop because a lot of the odds are reflective of money, like where the money is coming in. Yeah. And you'll see a guy start off at plus 150, and then uh, he'll drop to like plus 120 before the game. That's because a bunch of people were betting on him to, yeah. to score. So the, the odds makers clearly have to adjust this to, to reduce liability. And I think that's one of the things is just overall liability. Books were getting killed on touchdown scores over the last couple of seasons. And also just because – you're seeing these new books like DraftKings and FanDuel and, and, and even the locals you know, starting to offer the props. Um, now, what I think is going to happen is you're going to see the inverse happen soon. You're going to see those odds go back up in a form of competition because sports books right now, because of the boom of <coughs> – excuse me, sorry. Because of the boom of sports betting now happening in the United States, state by state, it's just opening up. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing these offshores kind of – slowly losing money to some of these like you're going to start to see competition where instead of uh, offering bonuses or offering uh, 
you know, Bitcoin withdrawals or whatever angle a sportsbook wants to use as a reason why you would use them, they're gonna, you're going to start to see the odds increase. Like one of the books I use here in Canada, it's called Cool Bet. And you can see it because they're trying to break into the market, but they can't compete with the likes of Bet365 or Bovada or, or whatever else. So what they do is they jack their, they jack their odds up. Like, like one book that I use, my main book, you'll see Tom Brady at plus 500 to score a touchdown, but then you go to that book and you see it at plus 700. It's very regular that mm-hmm. you can get better odds there. So uh, that's kind of where I see the touchdown score market going is that you're going to see all these books starting to offer it, realizing that it's not enough of a differential for people to go to them. So they're going to start to jack the odds back up. So that way it's like, man, go to Bet365. Like, you know, the, their odds are this compared to DraftKings and FanDuel or whatever else. Because that's pretty much what FanDuel is doing now. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, one, even like even the promos, uh, one that disappointed me with FanDuel was I was signed up with FanDuel. Maybe just I think I signed up one time but never really uh, used it as much. And I, went, I wanted to sign up for the McGregor uh, fight because it was going to be him at like plus 550. Obviously, we know how that turned out. But I was never able to get that promo, so I was definitely disappointed about that. Oh, well, you saved yourself some money. You used the promo on somebody else, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully next time. But, yeah, that was a that, – that fight was just shocking. UFC is always – the big fights are always fun. Well, and even UFC, man, like during the pandemic, I had to figure out ways to entertain myself. Mm-hmm. And got a little bit of a following out of that, too, because people were, like, wondering how come I don't post my UFC picks anymore. Because what I fell in love with is uh, – and this is, like, to me, it's like a form of a touchdown score bet – is I would try to find the bet – there's a prop specifically for UFC fights called – to go the distance Mm -hmm. and for a lot of the time you can find sometimes these no go the distance props at huge plus money like plus 150 plus 200 and in a ufc fight like a fight can end quickly in in no in no way shape or form it's like two guys come in they're like oh he's got these tough chins and you know they're one guy's a submission specialist so he's not really gonna go he's not really a striker and then all of a sudden uh, the guy who's got a tough chin bops the su- submission guy on the chin. It's like, oh, first time he's ever been knocked out. It's like, who cares? Like, I cash my bet. And a lot of the time I would do that, I find you can find real value on not go the distance bets for women fights. Because UFC in general, and I mean, like, there's not really many women outside of, like, Amanda Nunez or, you know, or uh, Rose, mm-hmm. you know, t- to a lesser extent, or even Shevchenko, who are going to just one-punch other people and just knock them out. So... Um, you could find some value for those, and that's really what I was doing. I remember for the first like three months of of being in the quarantine kind of thing before the bubble came back, I was just betting on UFC fights all the time, and it was awesome. It was fun, mm-hmm. but I uh, I kind of I don't want to say I fell out of favor of it. I just there's just only so many hours in the day, or mm-hmm. so much effort. I've got two little kids, you know. I've only got so much time to kind of focus on certain things. So uh, UFC unfortunately had to get the chop. Yeah, and then there was also that one stretch with UFC where the underdog was winning, like, every single time, which is nice. Yep. Uh, Especially the main event. Especially yeah. Especially the main mm-hmm. event. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I think the first big fight was the Gachi fight. Was the, I still don't know how to say his last name. Oh, no, it was, it was Gaethje and, uh, well, Gaethje and Ferguson was the first big one. Yeah. Gaethje won outright as, like, a plus mm-hmm. 220 underdog. I was and so happy. Next, yeah, and then the next card, I think it was, like, Alistair, or, pardon me, it was Glover Teixeira versus Anthony Smith. Glover pieced him up as an underdog, and then uh, and then uh, Alistair Overeem was fighting, and mm-hmm. he was an underdog. Yep. It was a big one. It was like plus 120, but he cashed. Yep. And so, yeah, no, I agree. There's been underdogs, especially in the main events, cashing a lot. 
Um, I still do though with handicapping that. Like one of my uh, good buddies at work, who I uh, who I work with all the time, and he's with Odd Shark. His name is Scott Hastings. Him and Ian, Ian McMillan. He's another guy who uh, who's on Guys and Bets, and you know all of us, the team with Odd Shark. Like we kind of bounce ideas off. I'm the guy who's coming in with like, all right, how? What's the big crazy idea bet that I could bet? I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna take. Uh, you know, not go the distance in the main events. And that's one of the things, too, is to pick a fight to go the distance in the main event is always an awesome thing to do or fun to do because five rounds, you know what I mean? You can, you know, it's not always going to be just a knockout within the first couple of rounds. You can get it at plus money usually because it's five rounds at like plus 200 or more. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's about it, man. Like, I, I always try to find angles. I'm always trying to find, like, these little plus money bets that people can tail along with me. And, you know, that's... I mean, that's part of the fun of this job and part of the fun of being on social media and how I built up this following I have today. That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, it actually brings me to one of my next points. Uh, you know, one of the questions I had was, any advice for listeners on building that personal brand? Because obviously, you know, you, you build a good following, whether that be as a capper, whether that be just as a podcast, you know, because, you know, I'm still trying to build my brand, you know. Obviously, you know, having a guest on like you is huge for my brand, and I'm very thrilled and appreciative to have you on. But what advice do you have for other listeners out there who have their own podcast as well? Yeah, yeah, Jason, that's a good question, man. So obviously, um, the main thing that I find of how I was able to gain such a following, so there's a few things, but the main thing is offering people something that they can't just easily Google themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you were able to find a stat or an angle that would require maybe 10 to 20 minutes of research or going through game logs or whatever else. And you're like, you know what I've noticed? The team that gets this amount of rebounds per game is covering at this spread or whatever else. And it's a tried and true formula that I could use examples for. And then I share that out. Not everybody agrees. People will just be like, eh, trends suck, blah, whatever. But it's still information that you didn't necessarily have before. And it would probably have taken you 20 minutes to a half hour, maybe more, depending on if you don't know what you're looking for, um, to find that to find that kind of information. So that's one angle that I would try to punch out there. And then, of course, content. I think that's another thing, too, is that you'll see there's, there's some people uh, in this industry who probably have more followers than me or just as many or close to it, and they don't really offer anything else but picks. And, the, and Twitter, or especially gambling Twitter, has shown me that there's always a thirst for picks, especially winning picks. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be people out there making picks, and there's always going to be people starting new accounts and, and wanting picks. And for me, I just found that to be stale, like especially like after the bubble, because like I burnt myself out real bad trying to keep up with that and mm-hmm. trying to build up my brand that way. You stopped at the end of the bubble, right? Yeah, for NBA, because, because what I thought... Is I thought because I went so hard for those four months, I thought I was going to get a little break until like February or March and be able to just kind of focus strictly on NFL. And no, they're like, no, we're coming back December 22nd. Get your shit together. So I was like, oh boy, okay, all right. <laughs> so I had to get all the content ready to go and uh, kind of reconfigure kind of how I was going to do it. And then you know I put a couple bets out on opening night. I always bet on Christmas Day, you mm-hmm. know, so Christmas Day is always a fun time for me to bet for NBA. Yeah. But even then, because I didn't have a ton of data, it was really difficult to do. Uh, but going back to the building up the brand, you'll see one of these tweets that I have. It's a pinned tweet, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. but it's a little, it's, it is kind of truthful. So really, what I was saying to people is that 
for some reason on gambling Twitter, people just gravitate towards emojis, like yep. especially like the ridiculous emojis, like the whale or the rock or the, the siren or the money sign or whatever you want to, what doesn't matter. And, and last year around this time, I was playing around with this shtick a lot. And I'll use this as an example. So last year, or even just this year, sometimes I'll just be like, max bomb whale alert, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like just all this bells and whistles for what it is. And then I'll just be like, uh, Sixers money line plus 150, bon chance, like kind of thing. And mm -hmm. just leave it at that. And I'll look at the, the engagement. And it's getting like hundreds of likes and people are retweeting it and commenting on it, whatever else. And people seem to enjoy that. But then that same thing, that same example of finding a really cool like trend that would apply to games that are being played tonight that could assist, that could actually help you from a handicapping standpoint of how you might look at the game. Crickets. Like I might get like 20, 30 likes. You know, even the Odd Shark account will retweet it. It doesn't get a ton of engagement. And that's fine. Because, again, that goes back to me saying to you that a lot of people on gambling Twitter, especially basketball Twitter, um, feel like they already know the answer. And they already know. Like they, they're mm -hmm. not really following you to, to, to get picks. They're more following it to cross-reference with their own knowledge and picks. So a lot of people will call you up quickly if they don't agree with the information you're presenting. So that's kind of one of the things that I would joke about is that you could technically build a following that way. People have done that. You can still do it. I do it every once in a while. It's a joke shtick just <laughs> to kind of see if people are still even sleeping on me or, or even sleeping in general. Because last year, I ran that joke into the ground before the pandemic. Like, I thought it was hilarious, like, with how many people were still using that and how much interaction I was getting. <laughs> so the main things that I would point to is try to bring something new to people that they can't find easily themselves. Create new content, whether that be via writing, video, a podcast, and maybe even when you're sharing the podcast, use like an excerpt or something like in a quote from the pod and to say, hear the full interview or whatever with so-and-so or something like that, or, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to kind of create a little bit more of an attraction for somebody to be like, oh, I do kind of agree with that quote or like, oh, that quote's stupid. I want to hear how stupid this guy is. doesn't matter because a listen is a listen, a page view is a page view. Whether you hate me or not or like me, you know what I mean? That's what I'm in this for is that Oddshark, my employer, gets more page views or more video count because of you seeing me posting it. So that would be the main things that I would say. And then, of course, if you want to go down the, the greasy uh, weasel type of lane, like kind of what I'll do sometimes just as a, as a joke, uh, you could try the emoji game and call call your bet the lock of 2021 and, and <laughs> hope for the best kind of thing. And if you hit, people will be like, what's the lock today? Like, you know, you know, they'll keep it going. So, and it's all about the momentum. Now, I won't lie that when I was going on my touchdown run and, and turnover run last year, I had a little bit of help from contemporaries in the industry or even the odd chart account. Because when you're live tweeting during a game, especially primetime in the NFL, that's probably when the most people are on Twitter, mm -hmm. at least from a gambling Twitter standpoint. So if I hit this plus 1,200 touchdown score, you can best believe within 10 minutes I'm going to have like 200 likes on the post and people retweeting and being like, this guy's a legend, like, <laughs> blah, 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 like, you know, and, and that's cool. Like, I love that. But I more love when people are sharing their tickets with me and showing that they took it, they took it as a first touchdown score or they took it as an anytime. And then I can retweet that or I could share that and say, like, wow, like, look at this hit. Like, you know, those kinds of things. So that's kind of the joy that I get because 
I think that's another thing too is that a lot of people don't understand is that I don't post pics on Twitter to to make money like people because a lot of people they think that's what my job is is just to post pics on Twitter mm-hmm. and if that was the case that'd be awesome but again it's <laughs> not so um, I make my money by writing and creating content and the pics are just a subsequent result of the research or just my own general thinking and hunching of finding stats that I like so. From a building a brand standpoint, those are the main things that I would focus on. Um, and then, of course, uh, keep going. Like, that's the other thing, too, is that a lot of times um, you'll start to – you'll do a couple of pods and, uh, you know, some will work, some won't. And, you know, you're, that's the main thing, too. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because I do a ton of interviews for NBA and NFL throughout the seasons – but after NFL drops off, like I really don't have, uh, like I don't want to say I don't have a regular interview, but my interviews just drop off. They don't, I don't have to do as much. So I'm trying to stay sharp, you know, as we go into the next NFL season because it's all about reps for me. It's all about reps for you too, Jason. Like mm-hmm. the more inter- more podcasts you do, the more interviews you do, the bet- more comfortable you're going to feel with having a conversation with people and and the types of questions you ask them. So that's the main thing that I would kind of tell people as well is don't stop and. Um, on gambling Twitter, it's very easy to get 10,000 followers if you just kind of stumble upon it. But the main people who get the 10,000 followers are the people who grind it out and get there because you just see like these accounts pop up all the time of uh, created December of 2020 and with uh, 35 years experience in sports betting and uh, the the best pro handicapper you could find, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, if you're the best pro handicapper, like just a lot of it is just <laughs> people just kind of overselling what they do yeah and uh you know like i said with the stupid tweets with the emojis and whatever else that'll work but it only works for so long people will see through that shit pretty quickly if you don't bring the results exactly uh so yeah that's really badass so i'm sure the listeners will appreciate hearing that especially you know i really appreciate that advice i know i have other listeners who have podcasts on their own i'm sure they're going to appreciate that uh, I'm sure if you could uh, give any picks, listeners would appreciate that as well. So, I mean, I don't know how early in advance you see lines. This episode will be coming out Tuesday. I don't know if you have anything for tomorrow night, any futures, or even if you want to say picks for Monday, and then, you know, in uh, hindsight, listeners could see how well you did. Yeah, yeah and I mean, that's the thing, too, is that I, I we were kind of talking about this before uh, we came on air, just that... Uh, some of these picks, they might not age as well just because certain people get ruled out. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's 12.45 Eastern right now when we're talking on uh, Monday. And uh, you and I both know that by the time even, like, supper time, <laughs> yeah. like, the lines will change, guys get ruled out and whatever else. So, I mean, obviously the first bet that I would probably tell people to take a look at and really consider, <coughs> excuse me, is the uh, over 243 with the Nets and the Kings. I've been detailing and following the Nets, specifically their totals. So is my group chat. Since the turned to 2021, and it's insane right now. Uh, I tweeted this out uh, last night. So I believe in 23 games, uh, the the total right now, I believe it's 18 or no, 19 and four for the over in 23 Nets games just in 2021. So if you exclude the three or four games they played in 2020, you just look from. January 1st onward, 19-4, and four, the, the over is hit. And I believe, when if I have to remember correctly, they've had seven games where the total is closed at 240 or more, and the total is six, and the, the over is 6-1 in those games. Mm-hmm. So that's the main thing that I love about the Nets is that 
they have so much offense. And even when a guy like Kevin Durant, like you were seeing when they were playing the Warriors, like Kevin Durant will sit. But you still have Kyrie and Harden just going down, bombing threes and not playing much defense. And the Kings are a fast team, too. They're a, they're a fast-paced team. They're going to play. They're going to lead with their guards. They're going to shoot a lot. Like, I would be shocked if this game stays below 250. Mm-hmm. And that would probably be the main pick that I would tell people to focus on today. The other one that I would tell people to maybe take a look at, I'm not 100% certain that the Sixers can win this game, but the Jazz are seven and a half points for the Jazz at home against the Sixers just feels like a lot of points. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not to say that the Jazz can't do it. They have the best record in the NBA. They're technically the best ATS team in the NBA, and they're winning a lot as favorites. Mm -hmm. Not against the Knicks, though, the first time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They actually, I think right now, from an underdog standpoint, the best ATS team I think is still the Bulls. I think they're still, I think they're twelve and five now, uh, from an underdog standpoint. Because um, that's the one thing I do at Odd Shark as well. You can, if any of your listeners are paying attention, uh, you can uh, go to Odd Shark, and if you go to my author page, um, I do a weekly report on NBA underdogs, specifically how they do home and away, and for both ATS and straight up. So people will be able to check that out just to see kind of how it's going. You can get a team-by-team report just to be able to see that as well. So going back to the money line thing, the Sixers right now are plus 240 on the money line. Now, I'm not sure if Joel Embiid is going to play. That's probably why this line right now is hovering around the 7.5. If he doesn't play, then probably I wouldn't play it. But that's the thing is that with Embiid playing, he neutralizes Gobert's impact. And Mm -hmm. Gobert right now, as awesome as the Jazz have been, People got to start giving credit to Rudy Gobert with how much he is anchoring this defense. Like he's already been giving tons of credit. You know, he's won Defensive Player of the Year twice, but this is a matchup for him that is bad. And I personally think that, from a defensive standpoint, Ben Simmons can shut down Donovan Mitchell enough to keep him maybe 25 points or less. Um, and then we might we need to see some of the secondary scoring from the Sixers to be able to win that game. But I think. Uh, a seven and a half bet isn't bad. I would probably lean towards the money line just because the Jazz aren't going to go eighty-two and zero. Like they're twenty and five, or probably twenty-one and five. They're not going to win the rest of their games, and they're playing against the. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. The second best team in the Eastern Conference, first based on record. Um, they should not be seven and a half point dogs in a game where there's no crowd. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree with that. Regardless, I mean. Even though as good the Jazz have been, the Sixers have been. I mean, you can make a case that they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, just like you said. Uh, but I, so actually, you know what, then, before I actually want to ask one last question then. Sure. Uh, NBA Finals prediction. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I mean, obviously I think I'm going to have to go Lakers in the West. Yeah. Although I will say that I'm going to – I save or I reserve judgment to change my mind if it's Lakers-Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. I may – lean towards Clippers in that aspect. I'm just not sure that they're going to make it again and end up playing each other in the playoffs. Fingers crossed they do, because that's really what I want to see this year. I felt robbed of that in the bubble, mm-hmm. and I was really hoping for that. So, again, I think uh, I think the Clippers could actually beat them in a seven-game series with no crowd. But, again, I think the Lakers are going to be the team that comes out of the West. And the East, it gets very tricky. Mm-hmm. You want to say the Nets. Of course everybody wants to say the Nets. But they don't play defense, and... The one thing that I think people are really overlooking in these games, they're not playing a ton of half-court offense. Like, you're seeing it right now. Like, really what's happening is is that you're watching these teams try to keep up. They'll hit a three. It's a long three. 
and they're watching Harden and Kyrie go up the court and transition, and they're basically just walking through them and, and scoring. And that's the main reason why I get a little bit iffy on whether or not they can get out of the East because you're going to have to play in the half court. And if you play in the half court and you can't score, KD is really the only exception. Kyrie maybe to a lesser extent, but I've seen James Harden enough in the half court that in a playoff scenario, playing against a team that is very strong defensively and keys in on them, he's going to be negligible comparatively to Kyrie and Kevin Durant's offensive game. So today I'm going to say the Nets. However, I will say that right now I think the Sixers could beat the Nets. Uh, I do think that uh, because uh, of, and again, if we're talking everybody's healthy, we're talking everybody's rested and ready to go, it's Eastern Conference Finals, I do think the Sixers could beat the Nets because of Joel Embiid being the X factor and the fact that Ben Simmons can actually match up on one of those other big three better and Matisse Tybel as well. So they have uh, they played each other once this year. Uh, it was an uneventful matchup. I'm pretty sure that Kevin Durant didn't even play or if he did play, like just the lineup wasn't intact or maybe they didn't have Arden yet at that point. For me, once that team is in lock and, lock and loaded and we're in the playoffs and we're in a second round or – or uh, Eastern Conference Finals, I would take the Sixers in a seven-game series over them. That's yeah. I mean, that's yeah. You know, I could definitely see the Sixers winning a series against the Nets easily. Right now, I have the same Finals. That was my preseason pick, even before Harden. But yeah, it's wow. the the Nets are no lock to win the Eastern Conference. It's um, funny that we didn't bring up Miami or Milwaukee or Boston. Like you know I know, what I mean? like Boston, they're struggling. It should be way better than they are right now. They're, they're, I think they're five hundred, and ten, or like they don't, they're not good this year. Like in comparison, like in Tatum, and you're just seeing a lot of uh, the COVID protocols are really taking rhythm out of teams. Like the, the Celtics and the Heat, and the Heat also could just be rusty <laughs> as hell from uh, the bubble. You know, the rust didn't affect the Lakers, but you know this is a team that you know a lot of young guys. All of a sudden, they get two months and, and they're two months off. It's just weird for them. Yeah, and I mean, you're seeing as well with the Heat, like how a guy like Jamison Crowder, like how much of an impact he really mm-hmm. made on that team, like from a defensive and three-point shooting standpoint. Miami's three-point shooting has dropped off a Horrible little bit this, this year. And of course, you have a guy like Goran Dragic, who is probably their second best player, depending on the day. Like, I mean, Bam and, and Jimmy is usually the one and two, but Goran looks amazing on some nights, like where he looks like probably the best guard in the Eastern Conference. If he's not playing, they're a completely different team. Because mm-hmm. then you're relying more on like guys like Tyler Harrow and Kendrick Nunn to, to generate offense. And uh, it's just a little more difficult to score. So once the lineups are all back intact, I'm going to make some probably more solid picks from a matchup standpoint going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But right now, just the way the season is, I really have no idea how teams are going to play. Like one, like I could believe in Miami too to make the playoffs and get the six seed so they don't have to play in the play-in tournament. And then, you know, more COVID protocols, bam, has to miss two weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. And then they're play- none of the 10th seed having to do the play-in tournament. And, you know, you're just kind of SOL. So um, right now, those are my two bets. Uh, right now, my preseason bets are, are, aren't looking great. Uh, I had Doncic to win MVP. Me too. I had, I had uh, Cole Anthony to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, Lamelo is probably going to win that. Yeah. Uh, the one bet that I did have, but he's been hurt, so he's not going to probably be. Uh, his odds are going to drop. Is uh, Christian Wood for Most Improved Player? That was the guy that I picked at the start of the year. I had him at twenty-eight to one, and right now, before he got hurt, he was an odds-on favorite, and uh, you know, just got hurt, and that's just the way it goes, you know. And then 
I think I took like JJ Redick to win sixth man of the year just because it was like 28 to one. I thought the Pelicans were going to be a lot better. Me too. It didn't work out, you know, and, that, and that's the way it goes. But if Christian Wood wins, then it doesn't really matter because I'll have won uh, 25 more units than I had lost yeah. <laughs> uh, for that. So. I- I definitely got hurt with, uh, you know, Killian Hayes was going to be the starting point guard for a shitty team, gets injured the second game and is out for the year, of course. And then Isaac Okuru also, that, that, a lot of stuff I read was good value on him, and now he's just ass, at least offensively. Well, it's, it's Cleveland too, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's, being, he's not really being asked to take any shots. Um, he's put in a position where he has to guard probably the best perimeter player on the team mm-hmm. every night. So it's kind of a thankless job that he's been put in. The coaches I know love him there. Yeah. But at the same, but at the same time, um, statistically, is how you kind of win those awards. Like he might be on the all rookie second team or something like that, just because he'll have played enough minutes and probably won't get hurt. But at the same time, yeah, it's pretty much Lamelo Ball. Like I was, I was pumping the Lamelo Ball train in the offseason. Like I was saying for Minnesota to take him number one overall. Like I thought Anthony Edwards was going to drop the three. Didn't work out, and now Charlotte's game, and he's probably going to win Rookie of the Year because he's going to—he's the only rookie to put up a triple double. He routinely puts up twenty and ten, mm-hmm. you know, in one stat, like whether it be assists or rebounds. Um, his shooting has significantly increased from a percentage standpoint. Uh, in the first like ten to fifteen games, he's shooting less than thirty percent, and he's jacked that up already to like forty percent just over his last ten games' results. So, um, Lamelo for me especially because Charlotte right now, they're in the thick of the playoff hunts. Like, if Hayward stays healthy, like, they're going to be in the playoffs probably, and they're going to give LaMelo Ball that trophy. So uh, I thought Cole Anthony was a lock uh, from a standpoint of uh, value because playing with the Magic, like, their guard rotation was trash. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then being able to uh, jump in um, after uh, their point guard uh, got hurt. Uh, I thought he was going to get way more starter minutes, and uh, he's gotten more minutes, but he's not really doing anything with them. So uh, that's the risk you take when you take a guy 24-1. Absolutely. Anyways, Gilles, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome having you. You know, Great conversation about you know the gambling industry, your picks as well, and then just you know building the brand. So lots of great insight. I loved having you on, and you know, love to have you on again sometime. That's awesome, man. I'm hoping that uh, this will help out the pod for you. And, uh, Jason, thanks for having me on. If you guys ever want to check out my stuff, uh, I'm on Twitter at GDog5000. And uh, you can go to oddshark.com and check the NBA and NFL sections and, or even go to my author page and you can see everything that I've written from a handicapping standpoint. And, uh, of course, uh, football season coming back in September and we'll be going just as hard on touchdown scores. Awesome. Take care, Gilles. Thanks so much, man. Thanks a lot, Jason. Take care. Bye. And that was Gilles Gallant. Awesome interview with him. Really, really great to have him on. You know, in my opinion, he offered a lot of insight for me in terms of growing my brand. A lot more just about working sports in general, which is something I want to achieve at one point. And just a really nice guy. It was great being able to talk sports with him and just really shoot the shit. I like him a lot. Uh, should I push you out to ask who his favorite NBA team is? Because I really don't know. But, uh, you know, great to have another special guest on. Definitely one of the, one of the best interviews we've ever done. Uh, so, because that was a long interview, I'm going to skip who is hot, who is not, and move that to Thursday. I just want to quickly recap the Knicks. So, the Knicks, they won both their games over the weekend, dominating both the Wizards and the Rockets on back-to-back games. So, it was massive for the Knicks to move up to 13-15 and 15 now, and get themselves back up to the, in a tie for 
the sixth seed with Charlotte at the moment. Uh, though they play Atlanta later tonight. I'll have my recap shortly after that game ends. But man, against the Rockets, they just dominated them from start to end. I mean, this was probably the Knicks' most impressive win of the season. You know, up by five at the end of the first quarter, up by 16 at the half. And usually when the Knicks are up by 16 at the half, you go into the fourth quarter like a four or five point game. But they, they this game they end up winning by 22. Randall was fantastic. He was fantastic against the Wizards as well. Continues to make his bid for an all-star game. You know, Derrick Rose had a fantastic two games. 14 against the Wizards, 16 against Houston. And, you know, it's, it's looking like a good trade, Derrick Rose. And how about him defensively? Four steals against the Wizards? I mean, this Wizards team is a joke right now. And they, they yeah, good for them. They beat the Celtics. But outside, you know, I mean, also we beat them without Bradley Beal. So that was nice, not having to go against Bradley. Because the Wizards, I feel like they've been kicking our ass the last three, four years. Almost every Knicks-Wizards game I watch ends with a Wizards victory. And a lot of the time, a big Bradley Beal shot. But it was nice to get back-to-back wins and get the Knicks back in the cusp of playoff contention. The biggest takeaway from the Rockets game has to be the impressive play of Obi Toppin, though. You know, he had 11 points on 5-9 and nine shooting. For a guy who had been struggling and been drawing the ire of a lot of Knicks fans, that's a solid game for him. You know, just the game before against the Wizards, he had eight points on four or five shootings. So the shooting numbers are there. He's not shooting the ball poorly whatsoever, Obi Toppin. It just I want to see him taking more shots and trying to increase his looks because all of his misses, or well, three of his four misses against the Rockets came from three-point land. So his shooting still needs some work, but. You know, Obi's still work in progress. I wish he would have made an impact faster, but I'm not ready to give up on him. And IQ continues to be fantastic. He had 22 against Houston, four three-pointers. He had 16 against the Wizards. I mean, I just love Emmanuel quickly so freaking much. And I like him and Rose on the court together. You know, I didn't know how the two of them would play with each other. I thought that, if anything... Rose would cut in the Quickly's minutes, but no, they've been playing off each other a lot, and the two of them on the court together look fantastic. I mean, Quickly was plus 17, D. Rose was plus 18. Fantastic numbers for both these guys. This was in the game against Houston. And then, yeah, so again, with this Knicks team, I'm still loving the way we're playing. I'm so proud of this team to be at 13 and 15. Uh, I mean, that, 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 could, that will obviously change by the time the Atlanta game ends tonight. But to be where we are, considering we are coming into the year, uh, probably as the second worst team in the East behind the Pistons, it's just been truly tremendous, and I love this Knicks team. And the New York Knicks have officially won their third consecutive game. They're now 14-15 and 15 with a great win over the Atlanta Hawks. A hot start from the Knicks with Julius by Julius Randle, who had 17 in the first quarter and 44 points on the game, including seven three-pointers. Just what an unbelievable win for the New York Knicks. I truly did not see this performance coming from Randle. And not only him, R.J. Barrett had 21, including, including hitting his three-pointers. He didn't miss a three, R.J. Barrett, which is fantastic for him. IQ hit four threes this game as the Knicks offense was rolling really from the get-go. You know, th- things were looking a little worrisome for the Knicks, you know. Get off that dominant start in the first quarter, dropping 39 points. And then the 
the Hawks start to cut, in, cut into it in the second quarter. The offense, which had shot 16-25 in the first quarter, is all of a sudden now shooting under 50% by halftime. And in the third quarter, the Hawks begin on a 9-0 run. The Knicks' offense can't hit anything, and things are looking good. But then it was fourth quarter time, and my man, Julius Randle, just took over this game for the Knicks. What a performance from him down the stretch. Just hitting big shot after big shot, drilling threes, uh, hitting tough fadeaways, and really putting away the Atlanta Hawks. Anytime the Hawks made it three or four points, there was Julius Randle to put the team away. And look, I love Julius Randle. What a fucking game he had against the Hawks tonight. But as much as I hate to say it, I don't think Julius Randle is going to be an all-star. You know, I'm about to get my all-star game rosters in a second. And just look at the East. I want to get Julius Randle in there so badly. I mean, he, he's my guy. He's the best player on my team. But just with all the talent in the Eastern Conference, it was very hard to, to justify putting Julius Randle on there. Uh, so now, without further ado, I'm going to list some of the guys that I'm going to put on the team over Julius Randle. Uh, so I'll list the Eastern starting lineup first. Kyrie Irving, yeah, he missed some time, but the numbers he's putting up are just truly incredible. You know, it's been amazing for the net, for the Nets, hitting a lot of clutch shots for them. I'd also put Jalen Brown as one of my starters. He's having a 50-40 season on 26 points. Been fantastic for the Celtics, a, part, a big part of that dynamic duo. Even if the Celtics are struggling right now, KD, I mean, he's an MVP candidate. Is there any reason to not put KD in the starting five? Same with Joel Embiid. And I'd also put Giannis in my starting five as well. Because Giannis is just an absolute freak of nature and still having another fantastic year, even if he's not an MVP favorite. On the bench, I put Harden. I just think that uh, James Harden is having a fantastic year for the Nets. I know he just made it to the Eastern Conference. But he's, shooting, he's putting up great overall numbers, and it's just impossible to leave James Harden off. Bradley Beal will also make it, as bad as the Wizards have been. He's still the leading scorer in the NBA, and there's no reason to leave Bradley Beal off the All-Star roster. Uh, Jason Tatum, he also missed some time with COVID, but the numbers he's putting up for the Celtics are truly, truly fantastic numbers, and that's why I'm putting up Jason Tatum. Uh, now, here's where it truly got hard. Between the four guys I'm going to choose, Julius Randle, and another guy who got left off. It was very hard to pick. Uh, I'm putting Damanis De Sabonis on there. You know, he's averaging 20, 11, 5, and he's doing this over 50% shooting. He's in a big season for the Pacers. I know the Pacers have been struggling as of late, but his overall numbers combined with the shooting percentage is why I have Damanis Sabonis in. Uh, ben Adebayo, another player I have in. It was, it, I almost left him off, but Sabonis Sabonis, you know, 19, Nine over 50% shooting the assist, you know, playing some of the best defense of any player in the NBA. So, yeah, you got to put Demonis Sabonis as an NBA All Star. That dude is an absolute dog. Uh, or Bam Adebayo and Sabonis are both dogs, excuse me. Uh, other guys, Tobias Harris. Uh, it was really between him and Middleton. They're both fifth, they're both on the fifth, they're both shooting 50, 40, 90. Uh, but in my opinion, I had to put Tobias Harris there. You know, if I'm giving the Nets three players, if I'm giving the Celtics two players, in my opinion, the team, the best team in the Eastern Conference has to get two players, especially when Tobias Harris has been their second best player. In the last spot, Zach Levine. 
He's putting up some incredible godlike numbers this season for the Chicago Bulls, going very underrated, one of the league's leading scorers. He's doing that at over 50% shooting from the field, five rebounds and five assists. Truly incredible numbers for Zach Levine. And that's why, you know, it was hard to justify putting Julius Randle in the All-Star game off any of these guys as good as he's been for the Knicks this year. And Chris Middleton, he was another very hard omission. It was really between him, Harris, and Levine. I almost gave it the Middleton because of the winning record. But I just think Levine's points per game is just too incredible. And it's the reason why I had to put him in the All-Star game. Uh, Western Conference, same starting five I had when I first announced when I first set my all-star rosters. Luca, Steph, Kawhi, LeBron, and Jokic. On the bench, Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell. Self-explanatory reasons, along with Paul George and Rudy Gorbert. Now the final three is where it got really tough. So previously I had Christian Wood in my all-star game. Uh I'm not gonna put him there now because of his injury. Sucks for him, but I just threw out of the situation. I'd put Rudy Gorbert as an all-star. Uh, the Jazz are the best team in the NBA. He's been arguably the defensive player of the year to this point, and he's been one of the best players on the NBA's best team. So, yeah, if the Lakers and the Clippers are going to get two players, I don't see how you don't give the Jazz two players, especially with how good Gorbear has been defensively. Uh, my last three spots came between Devin Booker, Zion Williamson, and SGA. Zion's numbers are just incredible this season. 23.6 points per game on 64% shooting. Unbelievable year for Zion. He's really living up to the hype in terms of talent. So for that reason, I got to put Zion Williamson in my all-star game. And the last spot, it was really tough, but like I said, between Devin Booker and SGA, uh, you know, I think SGA's numbers are personally are better than Devin Booker's, but Booker still put up incredible numbers. And the Suns are the fourth best team in the Western Conference right now. So it's very impossible to justify leaving a player off of the Suns. And for that reason is why that's my all-star rosters. But again, if SGA makes it over Rudy, Booker, Zion, I'm not going to complain. And if Julius Randle makes it over somebody in the East, well, I'm not going to be mad about it, even if I don't think he deserves it. Uh, this day in NBA history. So I remember this game fell in February because I actually watched this game. Uh, it was February 9th, 19th, 2012. Nuggets versus Thunder. Or February 16th, 2012. It was the Nuggets versus the Thunder. It was a game that went into overtime. Kevin Durant dropped 50 points. Russell Westbrook dropped 40 points. Serge Ibaka had a triple-double with blocks. And this is a game I vividly remember because I was watching this game on a plane. And it's one of like the sickest basketball games that I remember ever seeing just because of everything that happened from... Just, I mean, a 50, 40, two, uh, two teammates scoring 40 plus, one scoring 50, and another teammate having a triple-double with blocks. I mean, that game was absurdity. Definitely the best game I've ever witnessed while on a plane. Uh, that's about it for the NBA. There's some breaking news in the NFL. Rest in peace, Vincent Jackson. You know, for a while, was one of the better receivers in the league. Was you know, great for the Chargers. Had a bit of a had a bit of a bad breakup with them due to his contract. But when he was when he went when he went to Tampa Bay, was one of the best receivers in the league for them. R.I.P. that man who we lost at a very young age. Um, baseball news: The Yankees signed Justin Wilson, a left-handed reliever who pitched there previously back in 2015. You know, you know, fine reliever, not a bad player to have at all. Cheap contract. You know, I'm really liking the way this Yankees bullpen is, is shaping up now, 
especially if Sessa and Lawazica can take the leaps forward that I'm hoping they that they will this year. And that's it for our American sports. However, it is now time for soccer in 90. We'll start off in England, where Liverpool has lost again. They led one nothing against Leicester City, which turned into an epic collapse as Alisson gave up three goals within seven minutes. An absolute stunning collapse for the defending champions. With Chelsea and West Ham winning both winning on Monday to move into fourth place and fifth place respectively, the defending champs are now down to sixth place in the Premier League standings. With that win for Leicester City, they are now tied with Manchester United for second place due to Manchester United's draw against West Bromwich. United is now seven points behind City after just one combined point against the bottom two teams in the Premier League. In Italy, AC Milan lost 2-0 at Spezia. This loss allowed, uh, allowed Inter Milan to move in the first place with a 3-1 win over Lazio. Juventus now lost to Napoli, with giving them... However, they still own a two-point lead over Napoli for a fourth place in the Serie A. However, they remain eight points back at first place. In La Liga, the top four teams have all won. However, two wins for Real Madrid this week. They moved them to just five points behind Atletico. And this week, we finally have the best soccer there is. Champions League has returned. On Tuesday, we have Barcelona playing PSG. I like Barcelona to win that game without PSG missing Neymar. You have Leipzig playing Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool has been so poor lately that I think Leipzig will beat them. On Wednesday, we have Porto versus Juventus. Give me Porto in that game as Porto tends to win at home in the Premier League. And you, in uh, the Champions League. And you get Sevilla versus Dortmund. I think Sevilla, the defending champions of the Europa League, win that game. Uh, that's it for Talking Soccer in 90. And that is it for today's episode of the Bird's Eye View. I know it was a long episode, but it was a tremendous interview with Jules Gallant. Uh, any, any other interviews you guys want to see, let me know. And just remember, any other questions you have, uh, you know, feel free to send them in with voicemails. I'm going to start setting that up. If you want to see all my latest live reactions, follow Jay Bird's Eye View on Twitter. For all the latest episode updates, follow the Bird's Eye View podcast. Thank you, everybody, and have a great rest of your day.